I'm so happy to be with you. It's a, such an honor. I really love this church. You know, I'm on a, uh, after almost 25 years of ministry, uh, my church has given me a four-month sabbatical, and I'm only preaching at one church this entire sabbatical. And I just love you guys, and I'm grateful that we get to spend this Sunday together. Um, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for being a good father to us. A father that we don't deserve. Um, but a father that you offer yourself to be. And so we're grateful for that. Lord, I pray that you would minister to every one of our hearts to make us long for, wait on, rest in, and trust Jesus more and more. Father, if there's anything that I would say that would distract anyone here from the beauty of who you are, I pray that you would just overwhelm that with your beauty and love and help us just to focus on you. And Lord, would you, would you meet us, those of us who have loved you for a long time and those of us who have run from you for a long time, would you meet us now? For we do pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, I have six children. And so I know something about being a father. I've been one for about uh, 31 years. And uh, my son was supposed to be at this service. And so if he shows up late, you're going to help me embarrass him. Okay? So we'll do that. And together. And <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's my youngest son. And I was like, oh my gosh, if he's with them, this is going to be an awesome service. Um, yeah, no, so um, uh, my older son is going to be here, but he's not here now. So, um, so today, listen, today we're going to talk about how to overcome shame. How to deal with shame, how to deal with our guilt, not fake guilt, not fake shame, but real guilt and real shame, how to address it and deal with it. Like, what do you do the morning after that you act out on that sin that you swore you'd never do again, that you thought you were free from? What do you do? How do you respond to God? We all have to struggle with that. Every one of us does things that we wish we hadn't done, says things we wish we hadn't said, asks God to forgive us for some really terrible wrong turns in our lives. And so as a Christian, how do you deal with this? I was um, in the car with my uh, kids. My wife wasn't there. And we were taking my middle daughter uh, to where she had to go. And we were, uh, we were goofing on how slow my wife eats. My wife is one of those super slow eaters, and I am practically a, you know, speed eater. And so we were goofing on her, and I, like I said before, I have six kids, the last two, four, first four biological, last two uh, adopted. And um, we were all joking around, and I, you know, just kind of like off the cuff. And I was joking, and I was like, oh my gosh, 
Liz eats so slow, your mom eats so slow that she's not even a real cologne. Cologne is our last name. She's not even a real cologne. She's like adopted or something like that. And as soon as I said that, you ever say something that you know this was the wrong thing to say? My son, who is adopted, was right behind me. It was like the Jackie Chan moment. It was like, ah. I do not appreciate how deeply this cut him. I literally said nothing, hoping that he couldn't hear me. Three days later, he got enough courage to go, Pa, you know when you said that joke? And as soon as he said that, I knew exactly what he was talking about. I was like, I'm so sorry, David. And we talked for hours and cried for hours about how, hurt, how deeply that hurt him. He'll remember that for the rest of his life. I wonder if I'm the only dad who's ever sinned against my kids. Said something stupid, harmful. Probably not. You're probably here if you're a dad. I wonder if dads are the only ones who sin. Probably not. You're probably here and you've done things that you deeply regret. You've said things and acted in ways that you wish you hadn't, ways that you feel bring a terrible amount of guilt and shame on your life. All of us do. Today, we're going to talk about how to address that. But we're going to talk about how to address that, not in a, culturally, uh, not in a cultural way, but we're going to talk about how to address that in a Christ-filled way. So if you're here and you're a Christian and you're wrestling with shame, we're going to be speaking about how the Bible addresses shame in our lives. I'm so glad you're here. And if you're here and you're just kicking the Christian tires, maybe you came because your parents said, oh, it's Father's Day. Give your father a gift. Come, you know, it's a church. Or, or the pretty girl at the office said, so what you're doing for Sunday? And you were like, Psh. I got no plans. And she goes, come to church with me. And you're like, oh no, I don't know how to get out of this one, which is pretty wild. I know that I know who you are. And so um, if that's you as well, I'm super grateful that you're here. And the reason I'm grateful that you're here is because you have an opportunity to listen to how Christians address shame and guilt in their lives. So before we get into the actual text, we're looking at Micah chapter 7, verse 7 through 9. I want to talk to you about the kind of shame or guilt that we're not talking about and where we're moving from, okay? So some, because not all, not all shame, not all guilt is like created equal, right? So sometimes we have what's called false guilt. This is the kind of guilt that you get when someone puts a a false uh, moniker or a false label on you, right? So maybe parents were expecting you to go to Harvard, be a doctor, and you decided to be an engineer. I mean, there's a level of shame. I don't know what it is. Um, but like, you know, we all have that. Like, it's just like, no, 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 that's not my shame to carry. That's not my shame to carry. This is false. And we just need to be able to identify that and kind of call it out and say, okay, yeah, that's not mine. There's a false. But and then there's like a, a worldly guilt. The Bible calls it a worldly sorrow. And this worldly sorrow or this worldly guilt or this worldly shame, this is 
just feeling guilty, and it's, it's very difficult to be able to, um, to catch this kind of worldly sorrow because it has tears to it. Like we're crying. And we're, that's when we're scared only about the consequences that we might face. You know what I mean? It's like, oh my gosh, who's going to find out? Are you going to be exposed? Are they going to know it's me? It's the kind of worldly sorrow where you're crying and asking God for forgiveness, but you're not really repentant or seeking God to address the shame in your heart. That's like a worldly sorrow, guilt, or shame. We're not interested in talking about that either. What we are talking about is a godly guilt or a godly shame or sorrow. And there is such a thing as a godly shame. And it's not like shame is not all bad. I know in this culture, we think that shame is, no, it's not. Guilt is not all bad. You know what we, t- you know what we call people who do something shameful and don't feel shame? They call them sociopaths. Like that's not who we are. We want to be able to allow God to address every area of our lives, including our shame. So we're going to look at the book of Micah. Now, in, we're, we're not going to look at the whole book of Micah, but what we are going to do is we're going to look at a small portion of Micah. But let me give you the context of Micah so you kind of know what it's, it's all about. So Micah can be broken up into sort of like two categories. It like vacillates between these two, like, you know, in the first chapter, it breaks up into this. All throughout, it just goes back and forth, back and forth between accusations and warning of judgment and striking promises of hope. So the book of Micah goes from accusations and warning of judgment, like, yo, this is what it is. It's sin. It's bad. You've done wrong. He's accusing the people of God of having uh, uh, abandoned God and, and running away from God. And then there's, like, right after that, there's these incredibly impressive um, uh, promises of hope. And so that's what the book of Micah holds. So we're going to Look at the section of Micah where they're towards the end where the people of God, Israel, is personified in like this one weeping person. And he's like, he's recognizing the, you know, because he's personifying the entire nation. He's recognizing his own guilt and shame, but he's trusting in God. So the prayer sort of reflects the theme of Micah. And so we're going to look at that. Now, this is very, very important for you because, listen to me, listen to me. We're all going to have to deal with shame. And I'm talking, I'm not talking about the fake kind and I'm not talking about the worldly kind. I'm talking about the stuff that you have done that you don't want to think about and you certainly aren't going to confess today. That stuff needs to be addressed because it will eat at your relationships. It'll eat at the way you raise your children. It'll eat, you go, I don't have any kids. Give it time. Listen to me. You are going to have to address shame all throughout your life. I don't want you to be in bondage to shame. I want you to be free and liberated. Your marriage depends on it good night. Your singleness depends on it. 
Your family depends on it. The, the, the quality of friendships that you have depend on it. Your career depends on it. Because if you just function from a state of shame, you will never know the freedom and the joy. So I want you to listen in and don't disqualify what we're going to learn about how to deal with shame or like how to deal with the sin that you've committed the morning after, how to deal with that. I want you to lean in on it because it's important for your life. Now, we're going to read uh, Micah chapter 7, verses 7 through 9, and we're going to do something that we do in our church. I hope it's okay with you, but we stand at the reading of God's word. Would you be okay to stand while we read God's word together? Now, there's a couple of reasons why we stand. It's not because like, we believe in like, some sort of ritualistic thing. No, no, no. The reason that we, we stand at the reading of God's word is because we're reminded that I have my own emotions and feelings. I have my own opinions and ideas. And culture has its own ideas. But none of that is more, has more authority than God's word. And so we're going to look at God's word and we stand and just going, we're telling our bodies, we're reminding ourselves, oh, that's right. This has, I have feelings about myself. I know what I did last night. I know what I just did three hours ago before I got here. Okay. I know that, but God's word has more authority and I'm going to trust that God's word more than I trust my own opinion of myself. Is that fair? So let's read this together in a nice loud voice on the count of three. One, Two, three. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him. I will bear with the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and upholds my cause. He will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Now, would you just stand for another second? I, wanted, I want us to remember, and I felt like when I preached the previous sermon, it wasn't very memorable. And you're thinking to yourself, I agree. So here's what I want us to do. How we're going to deal with sin. Remember, what we're talking about is after you blow it, after you sin, what do we do with the shame of all that? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to wait, sit, speak, and look. Okay, we're going to do hand gestures together. How much fun is this going to be? I know you were waiting to do hand gestures when you came to church today. Okay, so we're going to wait... Then we're going to sit. This is how we're going to deal with shame. Then we're going to speak. Then we're going to look. Now we're all going to do it together. Okay? I know. This is a very exciting moment for you. Okay. So we're going to wait. And then we're going to sit. Then we're going to speak. And then we're going to look. One more time, because you guys are awesome. Now let's say it together. We're going to wait. We're going to sit. We're going to speak. And then we're going to 
look, that's how we're going to deal with our sin, guilt, and shame. Please have a seat. Okay, so what do I do after I've sinned? What do I do when the shame crouches in my heart? What do I do? Okay, the first thing is I wait. Somebody say wait. Wait. Wait on the Lord. It's right here in this text in verse 7. We wait on the Lord. Do you see it? But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. When I've blown it, there's a propensity for Christians to want to run from God, to, run, to want to leave God. In fact, in fact, I might have just shared with you your own story. You probably, some of you, grew up in a Christian home and you heard a ton of sermons and then you decided to go to college and you just said, no, 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 no. The way I'm living, the lifestyle that I'm in, matter of fact, you might be right now here for the first time in a long time because of this very issue that when we sin, we run from, not to the Lord. And so God says, no, 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 no. If when you sin, your work is not to run from God, but to wait on, we're going to wait on the Lord. And we do it in an active way. We don't wait in a passive way. We do it in an active way, sort of like rebelling against um, uh, shame and rebelling against sin and rebelling against Satan and all the other forces in this world that would keep us curled up in a ball thinking that we're the worst ones that can't possibly ever be forgiven. Listen to me. We wait on the Lord. And you know how you wait? You wait on the Lord like you wait on an Amazon package. How do you wait on an Amazon package? Anybody know? You dig into your pocket, you take out your phone, and you go, and you look, and you go, look, it's in process. This is amazing. You put it back in your pocket, and you go uh, throughout your day, and then somewhere in the middle of your day, the spirit hits you to go back into your pocket. and go. It's being packaged. It went from being in process to being packaged. How exciting. And then you put it back in your pocket, and you go, and it's like, it's being shipped. This is amazing. There's an anticipation. You know that when you've ordered something from Amazon, in other words, when you've requested something from Amazon, you wait expectantly knowing that you are going to receive that which you made request for. And so when we wait upon the Lord, it is an active kind of waiting. It is a longing. It is a looking forward to. And some of us wait for a week. And some of us wait for a lifetime. But either way, we wait wait on the Lord. We don't, we don't run from God. We wait on the Lord. Because Satan would like nothing more than to separate you from the only one who could make sense of your brokenness. And so we wait. Espera. Wait on the Lord. Would you say wait with me with the hand gestures? Wait. That's the first thing you do. After you've sinned, after you've messed up, after you've blown it, and the shame starts creeping in, the first thing you do is you wait on the Lord. The second thing, not only do you wait on the Lord, but then you sit in the grief. Somebody say that with me. You sit in the grief. That, I want you to look at verse 9. 
Um, look at verse 9, the first part of verse 9. It says this, because I have sinned against him. Now, the I is the personification of Israel, right? He's speaking for Israel. He's personifying Israel. But the him is speaking about our God who loves and is merciful and is good. So he says, because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case. So if the first thing we do is wait on the Lord, the second thing we do is sit in the grief. Now, here's the thing. Most of us want to go over this part with like a brevity that like, like is daunting, right? Like we just want to go, okay, okay. I don't want to, I have enough guilt. Listen, my parents raised me with enough guilt. I don't need to feel any more of this shame. Or No, no, no. This is not a beating yourself up. And this is important to understand. When we sit in the grief, it's not sitting in condemnation. We know, we know from the scriptures that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set us free. Set us free. So we're not sitting in condemnation. We're not sitting like orphans hoping that some parent will come and pick us. We're sitting in grief. We sit in the grief. We go, this was bad. This was not just bad because I hurt her and I hurt me. This is bad because I I offended the almighty God of the universe. I believe the same lie that Eve and Adam believed, that I could be happy without God. So I sit in the grief of that. There's grief in that. There's sadness in that. And I sit in it knowing that I'm not sitting alone. I sit in it knowing that there is one who comes alongside and weeps with those who weeps. There's one who comes alongside and is close to the brokenhearted. There's one who comes alongside and says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We just sung it. We just sung about it. He's, He's with us in the valley. He's with us in the darkest times. He's with us. So we sit in the grief as one. We sit in the grief, not only of what we've done, but of what of what that says about our heart for God, about what we've done says about our heart for God. Does that make sense? We sit in the grief, and we don't sit alone. We sit with God, but not only do we just sit with God, we also sit with our community. You can't go through grief by yourself. Grief is really hard to go through. That's why most of us want to just kind of run through it. And that's why as a friend, when somebody shares something hard with me, the first thing I want to do is I want to take their pain away. I just, I just go, oh, oh, it's going to be okay. You didn't know any better. No, 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 no. Let's just go ahead and sit in this grief. Oh my gosh, you too. Me too. You've sinned again. I've sinned again. Like we get to sit in the grief together looking for the one who can comfort us in our grief. We not only wait on the Lord, we sit in the grief. And we're not in a rush to get out of that. 
we get with our community. And now this is where, like, I know you guys are taking a, a sort of like a summer hiatus from your small groups, but there's these awesome, wonderful gatherings that um, Pastor Aaron just talked about that you guys can get together on and be reminded, oh, that's right, I'm in a community. I'm not by myself. There's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christians. We get to do this together, and you don't have to deal, because here's the good news. Here's the good news. You, I want you to hear this. Oh, man, I want you to hear this. You are not the only sinner in this room. I promise you, you're surrounded by sinners. You're not the only bad child in this room or the bad parent or the bad student or the bad employee. You're not the only one in this room. In fact, God has nothing but bad parents and bad children and bad you know, wives and husbands to love. That's all God has is bad people to love. And so you need to be reminded that you're not alone. Be reminded. We not only wait on the Lord, we sit in the grief. And we don't sit alone, we sit with Jesus, but we also sit with each other. We come alongside each other. And we sit with each other in the grief. So we say it together, right? First we wait on the Lord. Then we sit in the grief. And thirdly, we speak. We speak the truth. We speak the truth. I love this part. I love this part because I want to be reminded of what God's word says, not what my emotions say. You know what my emotions say? My emotions say, there's no way you, there's no way you can preach to this congregation. After all that you've done, there's no way you can be up there. After all of your sin, you know how grimy you are? Tell them, Edwin, tell them. Tell them how grimy you are. You won't, right? Because you're that dirty. You know you don't deserve to be up there. And that's the enemy. That's my own flesh. That's, that's what I hear in my head. But we need to speak the truth because my opinion about me doesn't matter. And your opinion about me doesn't matter. What matters is what God thinks of me. And that's why we run to the scriptures and we go back to speaking the truth. And we see that in verse 8a. This is beautiful. It goes, because I have sinned against him. I'm sorry, wrong one. That was verse 9. Verse 8. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. I love that. Don't gloat over me, my enemy. Right? When that, those voices of condemnation start striking your mind, when you hear those voices of condemnation as you sit in your grief, I want you to speak the truth. Don't go over me, my enemy. In other words, hey, it's true. What I did was a sin. What I did was wrong. What I did was against God. And God is still for me. God still loves me. He only has bad people to love. And I qualify. And so the, the thing that keeps me grounded with God is not my actions, it's not my performance, it's not my ability, but it's all that God has done. It's his performance for me. And by that I am saved, not by anything that I've done. And so we speak the truth. We go, yep, 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 I'm a bad husband, but apparently God loves bad husbands. I'm a bad pastor, but God loves bad pastors. You see, here's the thing. 
we come back and we speak what God's word says. Don't gloat over me, my enemy. Though I sit, though I have fallen, I will rise. See, the fact is that I need to speak God's truth in my life because I need to be reminded, especially after I've blown it, when I'm sitting in shame, I need to be reminded that this is just not the end of my story. It's just part of my story. This is not the way my story ends. My sto- the way my story ends has already been written and I am free in Christ. Listen to me. This is just part of the story, not the end of the story. You too. You too. See, when, what happens is, is that when we sit in grief, many times what we decide to do is we decide to, because it's so painful and we feel like, oh, I'm just going to go back to that again. This is very true for me in the community that I'm in because we deal with addicts and things like that. And I, I, it's hard for me to convince the whole world about how everybody's an addict because everybody's got something that they run back to that's not Jesus, that they keep on running to for joy and satisfaction and um, uh, to be, feel like they're made whole. But what happens in my context, and this might happen in your context too, just think of whatever you're struggling with when it comes to guilt and shame. What happens is, is we embrace our sin because it's so painful. Rather than speaking the truth to ourselves, what, what I do and what the people around me do is we tend to embrace the sin as an identity. Like, this is who we are. This is, oh, won't you affirm this is who I am? Won't you agree with me? This is who I am. And so I embrace an identity. And we're not looking to embrace an identity. What we're going to do is we're going to wait on the Lord. We're going to sit, we're gonna, uh, sit in the grief. But and then, and then, we're going to speak the truth. We're not going to embrace an identity that's not ours. We're not going to embrace a sinful lifestyle. We're not going to embrace, a, we're not going to embrace or pursue that. What we're going to do is we're going to speak the truth. God, this is how you made me. God, help me to reflect the love of Christ. God, help me to look to you for what you've done for me so that I don't try to earn my salvation on my own. We speak God's truth into our life. So let's do it together because we've just learned three ways that we are fighting against sin and shame after we've blown it. The first one is that we say it with me. We wait on the Lord. Then we sit in the grief and then we speak the truth. And then fourthly and lastly, we look for the light. Can you do that with me? We look for the light. Now, you see that in eight, uh, the second part of verse 8, and you also see it in the second part of verse 9. Look at the end of verse 8. It says, though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. And then conversely, it says it kind of repeats this theme. It says, he will bring me out into the light. See, this is really wonderful because I'm not, I'm being acted upon. God is doing this in me. I'm just, all I'm doing is waiting and sitting and talking and God is carrying and bringing and taking me somewhere. He's doing something in me. 
So I get to look for the light. He will bring me out into the light. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Now here's, this is the beauty about what we're learning, about wonder of God. See, there was, as you know, many of you know, and maybe some of you don't know, the darkest day that ever existed was the day that Christ went to the cross And while he was being put, now here's what's happening in that moment. I want you to understand what's happening in that moment. In that moment, Jesus is taking on your shame and your guilt and your sin. He's doing it for all of us. He's taking it and goes, you go, what kind of punishment does my shame, does my guilt, does my sin deserve? You know what kind of punishment? It deserves the death penalty. Think about that. And so Jesus takes it on himself. Jesus, who did nothing but love us and was good to us and is perfect. Jesus, he takes on and, and uh, takes on the sin that he did not do and experiences the wrath from the Father that he does not deserve. So that at the same time, you could have the righteousness of Christ And you take on an identity that you did not earn. And you get to sit in the light. Because do you remember when Jesus was on the cross, how dark it got? It It just got dark. Wow. Jesus takes on the darkness so that you and I can sit, can wait or look for the light. We can look for the light, the light that God is going to bring us, reminding us that we're his kids, reminding us that he loves us, reminding us that, that he has nothing we can do to separate us from his love, reminding us that our guilt is no match for his grace, that our grimy is no match for his love, that our sin is no match for his sacrifice. God is a gracious and holy God. So not only do we wait on the Lord, but we sit in the grief and then we speak the truth and then we look for the light. Now, what would happen if you started to practice that now? Like what would happen to your life if you started, instead of taking on shame, number one, that's not yours, or B, taking on shame that in fact is yours. This is your sin. You've messed up. You've done wrong. You've, you know, maybe it was last night. Maybe it was four years ago. Who knows? But what would happen? Here's what would happen. You would walk with greater confidence in everything that you do, knowing that even if you ever get exposed, you're already exposed to the Heavenly Father, and He loves you like good food. What would happen to your relationships? You would get less defensive. You know why? Because when they point out your sin, you go, I know. I, you don't have to defend. I don't have, like if my wife is, is, says to me, Ed, you're not spending enough time with the kids. You need to spend more time. I don't have to get defensive. What do you mean I have to spend more time? I wake up early in the morning. I stay up late at night. We don't have a TV, so I'm invested in it. I don't have to get defensive. I can just go, oh my gosh, is that true? Are you seeing something in me that I don't see? Can we... Can we together wait and sit and talk the truth and look?
for the light. Can we do that together? I don't have to defend myself, neither do you. Not if we live in this state of wrestling with shame and guilt in a gospel-centered way. What would happen at your work? You would, you would have applied for that position because the shame and the negative self-talk wouldn't have kept you from it. What would happen to every area in your life? It would improve if we just surrender to this simple truth that even at our worst, God is at his best. He's loving. He's forgiving. He's drawing us to himself. And how are we going to experience that? Let's do it together, right? We're going to wait on the Lord. We're going to sit in the grief. We're going to talk, speak uh, the truth. And we're going to look for the light. My prayer is that we would do that as a community. Wouldn't it be cool if this became a church where that was all right to do? Wouldn't it be cool? Hey, I'll tell you what. If you feel like this is not a church where you can kind of like unveil your brokenness, here's a thought, here's a thought. Why don't you become that? Like, why don't you start by going, God, would you help me to wait and sit and speak and look? Would you help me? So that you become prepared in your own life when others confess to you that you go, oh my gosh, let's wait together. Let's sit together, let's speak together, and let's look together. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be like a beacon of hope in a really dark place throughout this entire culture. I want that for you personally, and I want that for you corporately. Let's pray to that end, shall we? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the gift this incredible gift of grace. This incredible gift of grace that we so don't deserve. Lord, would you by your spirit make us people who don't run and ignore and stuff when we've sinned against you and the shame starts crouching into our hearts? Would you make us instead a people who are willing like, like that person in Micah who personified your people? to wait on you, to sit in the grief, to speak the truth, and to look for the light that you gave at the cost of the darkness that your son experienced. Would you help our hearts to be open to this? Would you explode this truth in our lives and give us wisdom, give us wisdom to know how to apply this in our, with ourselves, with our small groups, with our families. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen.